Welcome to Soccer Better Season 3. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Liz is a lawyer and Laura Ellen is the scientist. We've put our education to use by digging into the analytical side of all things soccer. Each episode, we discuss a piece of soccer or sports research. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. It is Season 3, Episode 6 of Soccer Better, and we're here to talk about a fabulous article. Liz, are you ready? I'm really ready, but I have to... If you hear a motor in the background, it's my cat who just will not <laughs> leave my lap today. So I'm real sorry for any background noise. She's she's the worst. You know, it's okay. We're welcoming here on Soccer Better to uh I didn't think lines. it would be noticeable. I didn't think it would be noticeable, but like I can see the vibrations <laughs> on my recording. And I'm like, oh God, they can hear her. Well... It'll be a special treat for just this episode of Soccer Better. All right, Liz, mm-hmm. let's dig into it because I think I let's think it's going to be uh, an interesting conversation. So let's go. Uh, Quick question: yeah. Is this our longest title yet? I, it may be. It's really long. <laughs> I was just looking. At it, I was like, okay, I need to take a big, deep breath here. All right, so here we go. Risk factors, testing, and preventative strategies for non-contact injuries in professional football. Current perceptions and practices of 44 teams from various Premier Leagues. Whew! Thankfully, they used the numerical 44 and didn't write out 44. Mm-hmm. Um, but this article was... Uh, uh, written by McCall and colleagues and was published in 2014 um, in the journal, uh, the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And uh, I believe this, uh, a part of this group comes from a university in France and the other part comes from um, a group in London. So uh, this is a Europe, a European based uh article uh research yes, please, please note premier leagues is not capitalized yes and it took me until like the last page to realize they just meant like tier one of many different divisions of different countries yes yeah no that's a good point because so i selected this article and when i first read it i was like oh wow 44 out of like the premier league right there aren't 44 teams in the Premier League, right? But um, I was like, okay, maybe they did it over a couple years. But yes, what it what by Premier League it means uh, top tier soccer across the globe. Um, so we'll get into that. Okay, so I found the introduction. So I guess maybe let's take a step back here. So in research articles, there are typically like four ish sections. So your first section is the introduction or background where you talk about literature on your topic that, you know, is similar. That is like the foundation for your current research project. So that's the first section. Yeah, like, look at us. We read things. Right. We know what we're talking about. Um, yeah. The second section is your method section where you describe uh, what you did for your research study. The third section is the results section. And that's where you give the results of what you did for your research study. And sometimes the last section is sometimes broken up into two sections, 
but there's some type of discussion or conclusion of, or uh, talking about like, okay, this is what this is what the results of our study mean within the larger context, and this is what we're going to do about it. And typically there's a limitations subsection that talks about like, these are all the caveats that go wrong, uh, go along with the methods of our study. Okay, so this introduction section I found hilarious. Did you find it funny, Liz? Maybe not. Maybe it's just me. No, I feel like I missed something. Well, I just, I just found it so funny because it's talking about injuries in soccer and they're like, injuries in soccer can lead to economic losses for the players and can lead to long-term economic losses for the players and the teams who pay these players. And I'm like, no duh. You're play. You're paying them to play, and so if they're not playing, of course there's economic loss. I was like, I mean, okay. the part that made me giggle when was when they were like, there are higher insurance premiums. I was like, wow, this is getting I know. <laughs> very specific. Anyway, it was it was fine. It was helpful. I just I just found it very funny. I found it very funny. But right, so the whole premise. I guess we should talk about the premise of this paper. So the whole premise is. When we're looking at injuries that happen in soccer games, there are contact injuries, so injuries as a result of two players who like knock into each other or a player slides into another player, but then there are non-contact injuries. And so what this article is looking at are what are strategies that clubs use to work to address and try and prevent some of these non-contact injuries. And so what they did is they sent out a survey to 93 um, top tier uh, soccer clubs across the across the world, um, and with with a seri- with a survey, electronic survey. Although I must say the way that they described, I'm not going to get into it, but the way that they described the electronic survey, I was a little confused by it, but it's fine. Um, and they conduct their they collected their data and got their responses between January and May of 2013. So this uh, uh, study is, you know, eight years old at this point. Um, okay, and 44 clubs responded, which is a 47.3% response rate, which seems low, but it's actually not terrible. I'll say, I thought that was okay. But then later on, they were like, we don't have nearly enough results. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were doing all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess like a sample size of 44 isn't great. But when you're doing 44 out of 93, like if the highest that you could possibly get is 93 as your sample size, like 44 isn't really that bad. And it's not like you're going to be doing any like inferential statistics with this anyway. So. Um, I have just talked a lot. Uh, Liz, what, what, what were your thoughts kind of about like the premise of this study? So I thought it was really interesting and I was excited that like they, so they lay out their sections, like brief synopses at the beginning. Um, and they talk about like, these were the top five risks that were identified across these clubs, you know, previous injuries, fatigue, muscle imbalance, fitness, Um, and movement efficiency. And then they gave us the top five ways that the clubs identified these risks. And then they did the top five exercises that the clubs said they used to prevent these risks. And I was like, I was so jazzed because I was like, I have this information right up front. I can look for it. I can immediately apply it. 
etc etc um and then they had this sentence where they were like overall it does not appear that sports injuries are diminished in elite european football and i was like but you have the risks and the identifiers and the so and they've identified all these studies i was like you guys aren't soccering better at all (laughs) (laughs) i put that's what i that's my comment you have failed to soccer better yeah and i mean i mean they get into it but um it was just really interesting because i thought like right off the bat i was like look at all this information that they gathered um and i think that as we get into the body of why there's a failure to soccer better it's very interesting yes yeah so i let's quick let's dig into the results because i think they are the most interesting i do just want to say they listed every single club that responded like they listed the 44 clubs and what league they were a part of and i was shocked by that like i i don't know like i mean i guess like they didn't provide the clubs with any um like guarantee of confidentiality they don't list that this was approved by a research protection office which typically has to approve research but like i'm shocked that they list it now granted they didn't like identify they didn't say well liverpool did like x y y, and z Z, but the fact that they said that like liverpool did respond to some of this well that that was part of their survey they reached out to them and said like if you respond we're allowed to use this information in these ways and they actually removed a question about um the number of players that they have injured so that that would never be that 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 was a little bit too personal since they were listing the club names so they tweaked their questions based on concerns that they received as feedback about listing the names so they did a cost-benefit analysis yeah i mean i guess like i guess from my perspective like right the trade-off here is if you don't identify clubs you may get a higher response rate. So, like, if you say, yeah. like, we're not going to list your name that you responded, you know, more more clubs may have participated. And, and then you could still say something along the lines of, like, oh, from the Premier League, X, like, X number of clubs, like, 10 clubs responded from the Premier League, right? Like, you could, like, still say, like, based on the Premier League in – England and then the MLS in like the US and Canada like you could like give some number but then you like wouldn't list I don't know I just I guess like I just when I saw that I was like you know is that I mean that's a choice that you can make certainly but I I would also think that like if you guarantee an additional level of confidentiality they may have gotten more responses maybe I think so I sort of got the impression I don't know where I got it from because I can't I can't I didn't notate it I got the impression that they followed up after they got the results and said we like and they had to do a second consent to be able to use their names but I don't know why I have that impression I must have missed that if that was in here but anyway I just I guess I just like I could have made it up yeah I mean I guess like from a research standpoint like I don't like as a scientist I don't know what benefit it is to like listing okay you know like Toronto FC, Portland Timbers, New England Revolution responded to the survey, right? Like, right. I, I, anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
We don't need to talk about it anymore. Did you did you note how they picked the uh, the people to reach out to? So in order to reach out to these these teams, they didn't just like blanket every possible team. They looked on their uh, publicly available web, you know, information, and they had to have someone who was in training or like a doctor for the team and have specific individual contact, which I thought was an interesting way to say we're reaching out to one person um, as opposed to like spamming and who knows who's going to answer for the team. So um, I think that probably, that probably made a bit of a difference in how, in getting that much response that they reached out to a specific individual. Right. Which I mean, but I mean, yeah, we can like have a whole long thing and I, I don't want to, I mean, I guess like, just from, like, a, a scientific research standpoint, like, I, it is not clear to me why that is, why it is still then necessary to, like, list the name of the club, right? Because, oh, yeah, Because, like, sure. I just, anyway, I mean, I definitely understand, yeah. like, targeting one person. It's way easier to do that. Publicly available information, like, right, there's a whole list of things where, like, that's a good idea. I just, I, when I saw that table, I was like, why? You know, like... You could have, like, you could have gotten more responses, potentially, if you wouldn't have listed this. Anyway, okay. La, la, la. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Liz, what, stood, like, what was the first thing that stood out to you in their results when they started talking about what they found? So, the, like, my biggest thing that stood out was there were multiple places where they're, like, They've identified, the teams have identified fatigue as a risk factor, but they don't test for physical capacity. It wasn't one of their things that they were regularly training on or using to reduce risks. And they've also identified muscle imbalance as a huge risk factor, but they don't use isokinetic testing for assessing whether or not you need to do more balance like you know to keep your muscles you know equal so you're not favoring you know your dominant side like and that was so prevalent like for each of these and there are like there are studies that specifically address muscle imbalance and how to reduce muscle imbalance and they're like yeah but nobody's doing that and I was like I was very very confused until you get down near the end and it says that like all of these exercises, the, the top five rated exercises and, you know, things that everyone keeps an eye out for is based on a paper that FIFA handed out to all teams. And I was like, oh, so we're not letting the doctors do like their own thing, develop on their own. Like FIFA handed the teams a paper and the coaches were like, yeah, do that. Uh, but why do you have doctors on staff? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I think. <laughs> um, okay, good. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, not to make this all about me, but right. So there's this field of research called implementation science, which is the kind of science that I do. And the whole purpose of it is, is how can we close the gap between what we know is evidence based so, like, what research tells us works and practice. Like, how do we get research into practice, right? And, like, this right. is and, – and how do we do it effectively? So, like, uh, implementation science looks at the how of that, not just, like, 
Anyway, so so there's lots of like theories and things and way to think. So like when I read this, I was like, oh, there's a total mismatch here, right? There is no congruence between what research says works and what's happening into practice. What is actually happening is that relationship is being completely moderated by FIFA. FIFA has like decided that I think it's like the I think it's called like the FIFA 11 and I think it's like the FIFA 11 plus or something but it's like this right the 11 plus it's from um comprehend it's a comprehensive warm-up program for to prevent uh injuries in youth football players first of all second of all it was published in 2010 FIFA if you're gonna give guidance on this and like I get it you can push it out to more people you can probably get the coaches to buy in but if you're gonna do this can we update it right at all right so like to be fair right this data was collected in 2013 so it's only three years it would have been only three years old but the fact that like based on what these research have researchers have found and reported is that the fifa 11 doesn't even mirror evidence-based best practices for preventing injuries, right? So, like, there's still that congruence. And so, you know, FIFA... Well, at least at least for the top five injuries Correct. that are being identified by these clubs. Right. Sorry. Yes. No, that's a great point. Yeah. So, I yeah, right? But, like, so there's... But, but right, if we, like, kind of take a step back out of this, out, like, out of just this paper, right, and we think about the context... Right, FIFA has so much control over soccer, kind of like overall how things are run, whatever, whatever. And so like it kind of makes sense that, you know, coaches and trainers and whatever are like, okay, let's wear options. Do we go with like the scientists who like, you know, maybe it's not you know, maybe it like works well for like what we want and what we're seeing specifically in our club. Or do we listen to just what FIFA tells us because they're the ones who are like in troll and who have all this like external authority? Maybe this is because I'm like real jaded. I don't even think it's because like FIFA's in control. I think it's because it was easier than doing than, than even looking at other research because there there's other research out here to address the things that their doctors have identified as the top five risks. This reminds me of the BMI charts, right? So if you look up the history of BMI charts, it is supposed to look at a population and tell you like the general health of a population. It can be a small community or it can be an entire country, but the creator specifically said, do not use this for individuals. That's not how this works. What does your doctor do when you go into the doctor's office? There's this really easy chart that like I saw once when I went on this trip and it was used for this community and it was just so easy to understand. So I put it up and you're obese or close to obese, even if you're in the best shape of your life. And if you're, I I just, I, I don't, I can't. This is what I feel like this is like. It was easy to say, here are 11 exercises that I saw being used in youth soccer that my kids did. And I thought it was really interesting that they were set. It came from FIFA. Like, this is so easy to, let's just use it. Or maybe like they moved up through the ranks and do you know what I mean? Like they became, as they became, you know, they hired coaching staff and different people saw it. Like it was just easy. And so instead of using any other research and like most of these places have 
doctors on staff instead of listening to their own doctors who I'm sure could easily find the research. They did the ease, they took the easy way out and it's so frustrating to me. But yeah, so I mean, that that's my ramble. I'm on this, I'm on a big old soapbox. How about, uh, how about you? What do you think of where we should go with uh, some of this research? Yeah, so I I agree. I mean, I really do think that we should be listening to our experts and right? Like that's why they went to school. Like they went to school, they did their training, they they have their certification, you know, whatever the case may be, like master's degree, doctorates, right? Like we should listen to them. I mean, obviously I'm biased because right? Like I'm an area, I'm an expert in my area of research, so I want people to listen to me, but also, right, like, we should expect, uh, sorry, we should respect um, the training and knowledge and expertise that people have. Uh, Yeah, so, Liz, when it comes to how to soccer better, what are ways that you think that we can put this into practice? I think this article made it really clear that you need to constantly being thinking critically. So it's like just because research is only three years old, you can't just say like we've always done it that way. And if someone if you have someone in your life who is an expert or who knows even like marginally more than you, sit down and take the time to listen to them because you can not only learn something, but you might be able to take something off of your plate that you're not great at. And then you can go and be great at those things that you're really competent at that you and and you probably enjoy them more because they come very easily to you as opposed to being overwhelmed. I feel like this may be an area where I mean, maybe you don't have the right buy in from your coaches, which they mention. Um, It might be, you know, a staffing issue, like maybe you just don't have enough staff. So having an easy answer is something that someone's willing to glom on to. Um, but maybe you have someone on staff who, you know, like they'll do what they're told, but they have ideas. It's worth listening to them to say, why do you have that idea? I mean, is it because they found it at the end of a rainbow in a bucket of gold? (laughs) Then maybe it's not the right answer. But if they give you a research paper and say, Hey, one of our biggest risks is that, um, you know, our players are developing their their dominant side so much more than their non-dominant side and we're experiencing a lot of in, injuries from that and here's how we can prevent it. and here's a paper that talks about preventing that specific thing um i just i don't know it's a lot yeah no and i think that is such a good point and i think also for clubs that don't have the capacity within the club to you know and i'm thinking about like lower division soccer teams right who like don't have the money and resources to support you know having like a full-time you know they were talking about like clubs that have like phd trained or like physicians you know i think they're you know often there is like a university that's relatively close by like does that university have someone on staff that you could like maybe buy a couple hours of their time as like a consulting fee or maybe there's like a researcher who does you know something similar to this or even someone who like is in a related field that can find the information for you and help you to understand that I mean I think like 
at least from like a research utilization perspective, you know, that's how I think about it. But also thinking about like, um, yeah, like, I guess, I guess one of the other things that this raises for me is like the access of high quality research information and, and what can we do to really increase access. And, you know, one of the things that you and I have found doing this show is that so many articles are behind paywalls because that's how the industry works, um, you know, for better or for worse. And there's lots of opinions about it. Um, but, you know, something else that we found is that if you email the corresponding author, which every article will, will have, like, typically it's the first author, either, either the first author or the last author will be the corresponding author, and then their email address will be there. And so often emailing them and like providing a reasonable request like, hey, I'm a soccer coach at a high school level. I found your article and it seems like it may be helpful for me in thinking about how to better support my players. Could you send me your article? So often authors are more than willing to do that. I know it's like, for myself, I've published research. And if someone were to email me, I'd be like, yeah, sure, here you go. Um, so, you know, I think that's like another aspect of it as well is, is how can we increase access to high quality, and especially like research information and research evidence um, to, to help soccer better. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I mean, part of that, like when you're at the high school level, um, or even, you know, division three, you may not have the, like, I don't know, the gumption or the training or the knowledge to feel like you can reach out. So sharing that kind of ability and getting support, like, even if you're in division three, like you have some kind of ownership, you have some kind of board, you have someone in a position of power and like, just, it would be great if that person was like, yeah, I can reach out for I can help you reach out and make you feel comfortable because I feel like if you're even copied on one email then you know how it goes and so often those authors write back you know do you have questions let me know like they're very forthcoming or if it's like oh can I can I spend fifty dollars to get one month of access to these articles because I mean like I'm not trying to take away from researchers or what little pay they get and if they so I know it's very weird with the journals and who gets the money and but if it's if it's worth fifty dollars for a month and you can you or someone you know can dedicate time to looking through that and seeing what's in a sports journal about preventing injuries and seeing if it lines up with what you're doing it is i I don't know for me this is really about like being curious and willing to put yourself out of your comfort zone and not just say, well, this is how it's always been done or this is an easy paper we got from FIFA. Um, so we're just going to do it that way, even if we have other evidence. Because, I mean, at these levels, and especially with the Premier League clubs, I mean, Premier League English football, they have access to all of this research about here is how you prevent the injuries you've identified as the most risky for your players. And for those teams to, to say, yeah, we're not doing those exercises regularly. Why? <laughs> why, guys? Just tell me why. You're absolutely right, Liz. Yeah. And I feel like that's a great place for us to end. Do you have anything else and any other ways that we can uh, soccer better? 
I mean, support each other. And if you don't know how to reach out to someone for an article, email me and I'll reach out to them for you and I'll copy you and then you'll have the confidence to do it next time. That's right. Or or email me or reach out to me and I will I will get it for you. We'll we'll figure it out together. All right, Liz, this has been another episode of Soccer Better and I'll talk to you later. Bye, Laura Ellen. Bye. Thank you to our host, the Beautiful Game Network. BGN covers teams across the MLS, USL Championship, and USL League One. Check out podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at BGN Soccer Better. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Otherwise, let us know what you thought about this episode and be sure to share it with a friend. Remember, you can always soccer better. The music in our show is Empty Rooms by Booz Radley. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.